getting that team together the way it was, and it was Brezzi then became manager, and we beat them five or six. And I remember walking off the pitch beside Roman Scannell, and Roman said to me, he says, there's something about us this year. It was the most incredible three or four years I've ever had in my life. I got a phone call, asked me would I be interested in Lisburn Distillery and couldn't believe it because obviously the size of this club, the history of the club. And he says, you're nuts if you turn it down. So I, just, I, kind of re I couldn't really and I've been proven right. I've loved it since I've started. But it's, it's like when it all costs. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the PSA podcast. Today we are delighted to have former Cliftonville player and current Lisburn Distillery manager Barry Johnson on the show. Thank you, mate. Glad to be here. Good, good to have you on, Barry. Uh, we start the podcast every time with the same kind of question. What's your earliest memories from playing football? How did you get involved in the game? Um, I lived in Dublin for eight years when I was a kid, and I remember big grass field out the front of the house where we lived in Tala in Killinarden, actually not far from Shamrock Rovers ground, where I ended up going on loan for a while. And uh, I just remember mum and dad come back with a pair of old Adidas boots with an orange sole. And hand me them like they were new, but they were. It was the end days. It was there was no brand. It wasn't Cup Mondale's Predator. Don't know what they were, but I just remember the orange sole. And once I got football boots on, around the the field, and I was it really, and never looked back. I was obsessed with the sport whenever I, whenever I got those boots. So you say you you were you were born and raised in, in down south, and your first club up in this area was was Cliftonville. Well, a kid that came up and I was I was really lucky. The cul-de-sac across me and Poglass, where I was where I was basically raised when we moved up. My parents um, got a house there, and the guy Jim Heaney, he literally lived fifty yards from my house. He uh, he's otherwise known as Big Dino. He looked after Celtic boys, and like he, what was I, eight years of age. There was at the end days there was no football until under ten or under eleven, but he used to let me down and train with Celtic boys and bring me everywhere with him and again it was just one of those things you know I was a young Celtic fan and they wore green and white hoops so there was an affinity there and away I went I just went to Celtic boys training and he let me join in training sessions like I said and I loved it and it just took off from there and then the natural progression is obviously supporting Celtic not being able to get the game so I went and watched Cliftonville games as often as I could and from then on to get the chance to go and play for well the Play for Cliftonville even at under 18 level and reserve level was unbelievable for me but then to go on and have the career I had at Cliftonville was you know like dreams come true. Mm -hmm. Yeah so you're playing for Celtic boys uh, you must realise you're quite good at football you make the jump into Cliftonville under 18s was there a stage where you kind of thought I have a chance of making this or were you just kind of taking it as it as you got it or? I can't, well I must have been all right because I played in Man United School of Excellence with David Healy, Warren Feeney, Arne Hughes, you know, and Grant McCann might have been a year older, but um, that that was the quality of players I was picked, the, you know, like picked to play along with at Man United School of Excellence. Harry Colder picked me, so I knew it wasn't bad, but I didn't I didn't think I'm going to be an amazing footballer. I was I was real, like uh, all my mates, Michael McLeave, Noel Currigan, they got trials for Bolton and away they signed two year or two year apprenticeships and. They got to live in Bolton, and I, I was like, I was really jealous and heartbroken. You know, the fact that two mates got to go away to play football in England. Now I'm sitting back here, maybe still playing for Cliff Mill under 18s. But it is what it is. It, it what happened to me. You know, it's probably written in the stars, isn't it? Yeah, I broke my leg. Uh, was probably told by a few people it would never be the same again. But 
you know, you, it's just the, the mental side of football really fascinates me now, now that I'm done and retired. I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll get on to it later on about my degree and stuff, but in football and business management, you know, the, um, some of the modules involved psychology and I've just been really, really taken by it. So what it spoke about me was at a young age, I didn't know I was mentally strong. I just refused letting anyone tell me what I could and can't do. And then I just came, broke a leg back to Cliftonville, made my debut at a young age at Cliftonville, but then again, never kicked on mm -hmm. and went and lived in America after that for a couple of years, which helped me recover from the, from the leg break. And then back home and I signed for Coleraine where probably my actually career took off probably a bit older than what I expected it would have or a bit longer than what I expected but again I have to thank Marty Quinfat he gave me my debut at Cliftonville and then as soon as I came back from America off the plane I phoned Marty and that was it away I went. So you signed for Coleraine then and as you say that's when your first steps into kind of proper senior Irish league football happened? But that team was unbelievable um, Paddy McAllister, Jody Tolan, Sean Armstrong, Stephen Beattie, Tony Gorman, Rory Hamill, you know Stuart Callaghan Still keep in touch with them all. In fact, we've started a, a group for the, the uh, Irish Cup that we won, you know, as part of that team. I think it was something really ridiculous, like 20 years maybe since since they won it. So we're um, talking about having a, a night out for it. So that's that team is unbelievable. And to get the chance to go and play with them and learn with them and after being more or less full-time football for two years in, in America, it, it allowed me to, to grow and develop and be around men and, and see, you know, what it took to be better, if you watch Tony Gorman, he was coming to the latter end of his career. Mm -hmm. But the, his dedication, his fitness in pre-season, his you know, staying behind, hitting his free kicks, hitting his shots, doing extra, all that stuff allowed me to, to actually realise what it takes to be an Irish League player. And I was lucky, like I say, Marty was very good to me my whole career. Give me a couple of games towards the end of the season and you know, give me confidence. And then from the next season on, I was able to, to make it to play games, I think I played almost 100 games with him, so it was a brilliant experience, brilliant club, and again I'll always be thankful for all them players for helping me. So that was that was a really a successful time at Coleraine with winning the Irish Cup and 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 kind of getting your foot in through the door and playing so many games in, well, a, in a first team environment. Yeah, it was brilliant, but Gareth McCauley was there as well, and Gary Haven, you know, with a good bunch of lads, it was, it was brilliant, and we're all, like I say, you, you're probably, kids now are probably naive watching football, they, they watch matches a day and they think, this is the way I'm going to play football. But when you're surrounded by those type of players, like I mentioned, you, you realise quickly that you have to adapt. It's, it's you know, if you try and play your own game, you'll be found out and you'll not play Irish League football. But if you adapt to the way the men around you want you to be, then then you'll fit in. And, that, and that's the way it was. Just I used to travel in the same cars, Paddy and Jody, And like I say, they were so dedicated, just the desire to win to be the best they could be and it rubbed off on, on myself and that that's what it was. I, I wasn't necessarily physically massive but I knew fitness from and I knew a strength if I stayed fitter than most that would give me a bit of an extra edge and that's what probably kept me in the team but certainly I wasn't I never had a position nailed down I was moved from right back to right midfield to centre midfield but that's what happens when you're a young kid trying to make your way and, and I never complained just got on with it and I knew that it would be very hard for me to step in in front of Paddy McAllister or Tony Gorman so I was real about the situation I was just happy to get the experience at Coleraine. So you're having such a successful time at Coleraine but throughout your career there seems to be a drawback to Cliftonville all the time. What was the, <laughs> if you're playing so many games having such a successful time at Coleraine what was the drawback to Cliftonville again? It was my fault. I, um, I went to New York. I probably shouldn't have to my cousin's wedding and 
it was during the season, it was January, and I came back and I, I think it annoyed Marty. And not that we ever fell out, but then I was just, Packy had left because of the financial trouble that happened, Corey and Jody had left, Sean Armstrong had left, so it was just me and probably Stephen Beattie travelling up and down by ourselves. And it just got to the point where, you know, I think it, it run its course. Like I say, a brilliant club, and I'm nothing bad to say about the club, I never will. But I just think at that stage, the fans were probably fed up with me because I'd done that on them, you know, and it's completely understandable, by the way. And I had a couple of offers from likes of Lauren and I think it was Glen Avon, maybe. But obviously, when Cliftonville came in and Tommy Breslin and Nettie met me, it was just, I was said, it was just going to go there because I knew all the boys mm -hmm. who were there anyway, so it was an easy move for me. And having not really played a lot of senior football for Cliftonville, did you find, did you see this as an opportunity to go in and, and get games for kind of like, not your boyhood club, but the club you kind of yeah, started out with? It was weird. Eddie, if you, if you remember back then, Eddie was a pioneer of actual playing football on the ground in Irish League. I had to give credit where credit's due. He, he, um, he put together a team like Connor Downey, George McMullen, Fran Murphy, you know, Sean Friars, renowned just quality, quality footballers. Ronan Skinnell was there, Chris Skinnell, who loved playing football on the ground. And Eddie really, he really um, encouraged it, whereas other Irish League clubs didn't. And Coleraine was just, you know, just go out and win at all costs. But Eddie actually had a style mm. and he brought me in because he thought I fit at that stage, but it was strange. He played me right midfield and left midfield and right back and left back and never played me centre midfield because Sean Cleary was there, he was outstanding. And we were playing a pre-season game against Wrexham in, down in Newcastle in County Down. And Sean was late and I actually begged Eddie to give me a chance in midfield and begged and begged. And he waited right till the last minute till he had no other choice. And he says, right, I'll throw you in. And I got my chance, played with Connor Downey, done well. And then next couple of games, done well again in centre midfield. And then it just came to the point where he couldn't drop me or Connor, and mm. Sean ended up moving on. What a player, by the way, you know. So it, that that gave me a break. But I have to admit, Eddie's style of football really suited me at that stage of my career. And you're playing well for Cliftonville, and then a loan a loan move comes up. I it was it was the same again. Cliftonville, and it was when the ground was getting developed. Again, I probably thought it was better than what it was, and wanted to push on and maybe made demands off Eddie and Jared Lawler that the club wasn't in a position to do and I just couldn't understand why. Again, being naive and being young, you know, you, you admit, well, I'm happy enough now to admit that I made mistakes. You know, probably was a mistake leaving Cliftonville, but to give the opportunity to go down and play under Michael O'Neill, not that I played much, but it, it was um, like the, probably the biggest club in Ireland, biggest support, biggest fan base, best stadium now that it's finished in, in Shamrock Rovers. And I have to admit, I loved it. It was full-time football. I don't regret it for one minute, even though I didn't play as much as, as I wanted to. But the whole experience of going down and seeing how he works, first and foremost, Michael O'Neill and the, the coaches, Trevor Crowley, who I still keep in touch with, and going up and down with Tommy Reid as well, was a brilliant experience and getting to play with the players I played with. Even the current manager, Stephen Bradley, I'm still right and friendly with. Um, you know, like what a player he was, played for Arsenal and you know, just unfortunate the way his career ended. But it was amazing, amazing time. Playing through the summer was completely brand new to me. Sitting on the bench, you were cold, you were warm instead of being freezing because I was on the bench a lot. But it was an outstanding experience and one that, I, you know, I don't regret, well, I regret leaving Cliftonville, but I don't regret not going and having that experience because I would have loved to have done it at some stage in my career. Mm -hmm. It just happened to be at that time. It, it, it came upon me and that's what I, that's what I done. And Cliftonville was part-time at the time? 
Cliff Lowe were part-time, yeah. Shamrock Rose were full-time. Full-time. How did you adjust to that? You know, did you see any big differences? Oh, well, I was, like, I was exhausted. See, for the first, like, three, four weeks, getting your body adapted to training every day. Yeah. I, I'd never thought I would have, you know, I would have struggled as much as I'd done, but and in the evening, I was having to sleep in the afternoon, you know, after training sessions, to try and recover as quick as I could for the next day's training session. Dad was much, much better down there as well. I learned so much about Dad from a, their captain, Shane Robinson. He actually done like sports nutrition as well. So, you know, I watched him watch what he ate and taught myself a few odds and ends about that as well. So, listen, I try to pick wee th things up as I go along my whole career, even current day managing. And th those experiences were unbelievable, you know, realizing the transition from full time, or from part time to full time football, how much it takes a toll on your body. You know, it's so it's massive, massive difference. And I think Limfield as well. If you look at their model from when they went from part time to full time, like a lot of players I speak to because I'm down there working, yeah. they tell me the exact same thing. You know, yeah. it took them so long to get up to speed. And later on the season, even Lauren, first year, second year, their players struggled with yeah. burnout and fatigue. But again, it's just part of the process of becoming a full time footballer. Mm -hmm. So your time at Shamrock Rovers came to an end. Was that just? Decision made on on no, display. No, I, I didn't do enough to merit Demons. You know, making it a permanent contract, and I, I wasn't good enough to be honest. I had a couple of good games, and but it wasn't nowhere near enough there in the trust of someone like Michael O'Neill. So again, could have went back to Cliftonville, but Eddie was still there, so me and him didn't really see eye to eye at this stage. Obviously, all that's all forgot about now. Me and him got on really well, but I. Uh, Lifted the phone to Marty again, my go-to man. He was at Glen Avon and phoned him and he says, yep, just come up and we'll, we'll get a deal done. So up I went to Glen Avon. I think it was six months there, maybe just over. And uh, I just couldn't settle at the club. I just couldn't settle at Glen Avon again. Brilliant, brilliant club. You know, Blackie, the kit man. As soon as you walk in, Paddy McCallister told me, bring him in a bottle of Buckfast and you'll get whatever you want. Brought him in a bottle of Buckfast first night. Next thing you know, second they did extra pair of training bottoms, extra jumpers, <laughs> hats, whatever you needed. So it was it was a, a brilliant experience in terms of, you know, meeting new people and seeing how it was the first club where all your washing and all was done for you. So you didn't take nothing home, you just had a soap bag. Brilliant that way, but you know, it's just a club that I couldn't settle with. I, and I, listen, it was brilliant people. Um Rory Hamill ended up joining as well and Willow McDonough, Trevor. Um, Crowley and all the boys from Dublin so getting to play with all them was brilliant but it was just uh, I just couldn't sell just bad timing not bad I, I was crap for them I genuinely was it was I was terrible for them um, I remember going down to play against Newry and Peter Murray was there you know Minto uh, like he's a Cliftonville legend one of the best players probably my favourite Cliftonville player but one of the best players ever to play Irish League football and uh, he was assistant manager to Jerry Flynn at Newry and he he uh, called me over and he says, what's a crack with you? And I says, I'm starting left midfield today for Glen Avon. So again, it was just because I was out of form, out of sorts, whatever it was, I was still out the left-hand side. And he said to me, he says, he says, there's only one club for you. He says, I'm being genuinely honest. He says, at Cliftonville, you'll give 30% more than you'd give at any other club. He says, you're wasting your time anywhere else. And he was right because literally, I think three or four weeks after that, I was on the phone to Gerard Lawler begging to get back to Cliftonville. And... We played Glen Torn. It was the very last night of the transfer window, and we played Glen Torn. And something that happened to Cliftonville player. I think he, one of Cliftonville players got a bad injury. I sent the midfielder, and they needed someone. And I uh, 
literally went into the change room after the game. Marty says, "Come here, I need to see you." He says, "Cliff and Bill have put in a, you know, a bid for you." Now the bid probably about thirty quid because that's all <laughs> I was worth then. I promise you. And uh, I says, "I want to go." And he says, "I thought so." Marty's a Cliff and Bill man too. He knows that the pull that club has on you. So, mm-hmm. he, to be fair, he made it real easy for me. He didn't have to be, but he did. And uh, I literally got my release form, jumped in my car, and had to drive the Jared Lawler's house in South Belfast. Drove the whole way there, got him to sign it, the transfer was done, but I, I didn't even know what wages I was on a good wage at Glenavon. And I had to go home and tell Mrs. the same for Cliff Mill. And I didn't know what I was getting. I had to train <laughs> on Tuesday. And Jared gave me pennies, and I mean pennies, but I didn't care. I was happy. I was back at Cliftonville, where I just genuinely found comfortable all my career. And mm. um, this time round at Cliftonville, it was the start of a really successful... It, not at the start, Eddie was, Eddie was there still and the, the club was very inconsistent, good one week, bad the next week, still played that nice football under Eddie that Eddie demanded but we just didn't have that, you know, not belief but you know when you play against Linfield and you, you step on the pitch and in the end days when I used to play against them, they had that aura about them when they knew they fancy themselves a million percent so we never had that, we just, if we turned up and we beat Linfield it was brilliant, it was like the highlight of your season beating Linfield but Linfield went out and done this every single week and Clivenwell didn't have that, but it was still very inconsistent. But then, once Liam Boyce came back from Leverkusen, didn't really, it was again same as me, Liam was, he was high and low and he wasn't really playing well, he played most of that season reserves. Joe Gormley wasn't there yet, he, was, he came that following pre-season and we were just the same team basically as I le- that left was there when I came back so a little bit older more experience more appearances between that squad but certainly no no one could have imagined what happened after that once once Joe and um, Liam started playing the way they did and Marty Donnelly joined once sorry Mark Smith and Connor Devlin joined too obviously we didn't know nothing about Mark Smith but how good he was mm-hmm. was ridiculous and Connor Devlin I'll still stand away saying he's the best keeper I've ever played with so getting getting that team together the way it was and it was Brezzy then became manager that got these players and we always laugh and joke God rest his soul like, but he was the luckiest manager you've ever seen in your life he didn't know nothing about Mark Smith Connor Devlin but they fell on his lap and Joe Gormley fell on his lap from um, Crumlin Star across the road and it all just clicked and it was the most incredible three or four years I've ever had in my life playing football So you finished that season and you come in in pre-season and these new players are being signed and stuff what's kind of the feel about the place can you feel that we're on to something or we just kind of we'll start the season see where it goes or what was kind of the the, the, the what was the atmosphere around the place like what i'm trying it, to say it was different i remember we played crumlin united and see previous seasons no matter like when we went and played crumlin we always played them pre-season anytime we went up it was a real tough game I know like 1-0, 2-0 and you felt like, jeez, that was real tough. Mm. But we went up this pre-season and we beat them five or six. And I remember walking off the pitch beside Roman Scannell and Roman said to me, he says, there's something about us this year. And I always remember it, you know, from that season we won the league. Mm-hmm. And then right enough, just everything just clicked. You know, it was unfortunate Chris Scannell got injured and Brezzy had no choice but to throw Joe in. You know, Mark Smith and Jamie McGovern didn't know each other and hadn't played with each other, ended up probably the best centre-half pairing the Cliff Mill have had. You know, one big, one small, fast. Um, George McMullen ended up playing right back for a long part of the season because and could control games from right back. 
Liam Boyce found his groove, found his, you know, his confidence and just was obviously probably the best player Cliff Mill have had ever to come through their their, you know, teams. Any any sort of Cliff Mill team, I think most people would say Liam Boyce was the, the one that's that been the best. So all that happened and then myself and Ketney, who were probably very similar, and people saying, Oh, you can't play them two together but we struck up a real good relationship and a good know how and the two of us you, you know, like he he was um, aggressive. I was aggressive. So, but the two of us could play a bit. I, th I think that there was probably, you know, understated. Unless you played with us, you didn't realise. Ah, oh, Jesus, they weren't actually a ball on the ball. So everything just clicked, and the those two years were just the best ever. Like the the two years we won the, the league, it was it was unbelievable. Two years back to back. Two years back to back. It was it was madness. And to say the second year, you know, like is. Like good teams win a league, but great teams mm -hmm. defend their, their mm -hmm. league title. We were a great team, and for the first six months of that second season, we were so inconsistent. But then, once we we sat down, we had a chat, you know, amongst ourselves as a bunch of players, and asked ourselves what we wanted to do. And from January, the end of January, I think, playing the season, I think we went unbeaten the rest of that year. So, again, my opinion, just because I played in it, it was, it was an unbelievable great team. Like, and just. Take us inside, you know. Take us inside the, the change rooms of that team, like the stories I got. <laughs> what was, what was like, you know, was was the the training always must have been hundred mile an hour. The camaraderie was there, you know. What was the, you know, what was the the, the two or three key ingredients that made that team so the, successful? The first thing was we actually, I think, where did we go? We went and played. So well, there was a Wales maybe in TNS, no, in, in Wales, mm -hmm. and. That had like a couple of nights in the through. Obviously, Mark Smith, he ended up in my room and got through him and Mark. So you get to meet him and you realise what he's about. You know, being a professional player. And then that was a good team bonding. You know, played a couple of games. Obviously, came home, and pre-season that year was really, really intense. Like really, I remember probably the team wanted just wanted to do something. Um, changing room matches or changing rooms on training nights. Honest to God, the six v sixes and the nine v nines. Like I'll just use an example. Myself and George McMullen used to kick lumps out of each other. Best mates after training, but see during that would it do anything for your team to win. Uh, but there was no no bad feelings, no yeah. anything. Just just we all pushed each other and demanded more of each other every single session. No one ever took it lightly in training, except Joe Gormley. He used to go into left back and get the ball and shoot. So, but he was the only one. But the rest of us, honest to God, it was. It was insane, and again, even in warm-ups, remember playing Dungannon in a warm-up, and remember the, the wee small pitch out the back, it's 4G now they have, mm -hmm. that used to be grass, and they used to train on the, that used to be split in two, so us to warm-up, them to warm-up. Myself and Ryan Catney hit each other that hard of a tackle, then we bounced up and started punching ahead of each other in the warm-up, no slower each other, and we looked around the full Dungannon team, we standing looking at the two, <laughs> no, after it was all broke up, yeah. and we knew we had them beat, yeah. but again, it was just our desire mm -hmm. to do well. If I had a pulled out of that tackle and he had a pulled out of that tackle, we would have got tortured. So mm -hmm. we hit each other a real hard tackle and they ended up being a fight after it in a warm up. Sugar hands in the change room out on the pitch and away we won, you know, like I think we won two or three nil. But that's that's the type of people we were where we're you know, you were surrounded by men. I spoke about that Korean team. It was that Cliftonville team felt like, you know, a bunch of men that wanted to be wanted to do something and not just have their careers go by without any silverware. So 
we all demanded loads of each other and I think we got our just rewards for it. And that was two lead titles, was there any other uh, success along the way? The, the first one was a, a League Cup game, we actually played Crusaders, so it was North Belfast Derby. And I've always said this, <coughs> when I used to go to watch Clipmill, support them as a kid, it was always the nearly guys, so I forget how many penalty shootouts we lost in at Windsor. And, weren't allowed to play Linfield up at Solitude, so well, every home game was at Windsor, so I remember going down maybe six times a season to go down and watch them play at Windsor and, you know, beating cup finals but you know, by Glenavon. It was the day I passed my driving test, actually. So beating the cup final by Glenavon and then League, League, League Cups, County Andrums, you know, Clevenville were always in the early men, so that, that League Cup we won. We won a 4-0. Crusaders could have actually been two or three up in the first couple of minutes, but Conor Devlin was outstanding. Give us a good foundation to go and win that game. But if I, if I had just won that League Cup, I'd have been like really happy with my career at Cliftonville because you're one of a select group that's actually won something, you know, for that club because they haven't had much success. Well, hadn't until that point. I think the league a couple of league titles and obviously the '79 team that won the the um, Irish Cup, which is still held. They're still held in the highest esteem. I mean, you still see images every Saturday and. Fans are flocking around them to speak to them and you know get their photographs took with Marty Quinn and Peter McCusker and that when they see them. So I'd have been over the moon with my career to go home with that League Cup medal, get a, the jersey and all framed and have the medal earned. I would have been happy, that would have been my pride of place. But to go on then and to win a league, win another League Cup, win a league and win another League Cup before I, I left was just it was it, it was madness. Like it, you would never ever have, have drank that, or I couldn't have drank that. So Cliftonville then, your time at Cliftonville unfortunately comes to an end then? Well, I was, like I say, I was lucky. I had, at this time, at that time in my career, I moved house, I moved to Lisburn. And then my wife was pregnant with our first boy, Flynn. So I always had my jersey from winning the league that year, my league medal and my league cup medal. And then we got pregnant very, very quickly after it. And she was pregnant again. And I thought to myself, shit, we've only, I've only got one medal, <laughs> two kids, you know. And next thing you know, played against Celtic the cha at Champions League game. Got Scott Brown's jersey and probably the best night of my career playing football. Obviously being a Celtic fan, a Cliftonville fan, that, that was just one of the highlights of my career ever. Um, but the next season, to do the same again and get my jersey done and have an or boy, feared you, and then have two medals, two kits, you know, spread like separate fur. Didn't have to worry about, oh, I've only got one medal for that and all that. That put me at ease. So no, even though I left Cliftonville, I was still happy the fact that I've got to play for Cliftonville. I've won this here. My kids can be proud of me because they'll have one jersey each and there you are, it's on the wall. So certainly it, it, it hurt me, but it was a, because of a fractured kneecap. It, so it was kind of took out of my hands leaving Cliftonville, which I would, everyone would love to do it their own way. But, you know, it is what it is. It was, it was a brilliant career. I've made brilliant appearance, brilliant amount of appearances, being successful, and like I say, having those those little memories from the two kids and those those, those all those moments, you know, photographed like I've photographed me and my wee lad after the when the league a second time, I poured it down. That that all means the world to me, you know, all frame. So it was an unbelievable career, Cliftonville, and you know, I'd never have one single regret about even leaving, you know, when I done. So then you had one more move then, and that was into the Carrick Rangers. Yeah, like I said. A fractured kneecap. Um, actually, it was St Stephen's Day or Boxing Day. You know, um, 
North Belfast Derby, myself and Daggy Cadell went for a tackle, and I felt a bit, we hit close knees, but it felt sore, but I still played on, I played on for about another 10 minutes, and I went up for a header, and when I came back down, the two tendons pulled the kneecap apart, and I just remember, I thought someone threw a stone, and that wouldn't surprise me, being from Crusaders fans, so I'm joking, but uh, I went, down I went, and I heard me, shit, that's sore, uh, looked around, couldn't see no stone, so I knew I'd done something bad, and went in the change room, and my good mate Johnny Campbell came in and literally put his finger right down between the kneecap and blew up into three and pushed it down. He says, you fractured your kneecap. So that was good crack having the phone away fan because she was heavily pregnant with a one-year-old in the house. An R1 due in a four weeks half, no four weeks time. And then a broken kneecap. So then I went to hospital. Obviously they'd done the x-ray and all sent me home. Says, look, I know, sorry I didn't send me home. Kept me in for a couple of days, waited till the swell went down, then done the surgery, pinned it all together, and then I was just recovery time again, you know. But at my age, what was it then? It must have been 30, 33, 34, and I just, I was half arsed about the recovery, you know. Tried my best, but I just wanted, I wanted to be where I was six months before, and couldn't be, couldn't be arsed with the long process of having to do small exercises and stuff. So, Kind of the, not having the right mindset, right frame of mind, hurt me now. I know what, and if I, for the longevity of my career, maybe could have played on if I'd have done it right and played in a few years. But it is what it is. I was offered a move to Carrick. See it by last year, they were going to put me through my B license as part of the you know, the deal. So I just and it was Gary Haver again, who a real good friend of mine. So and Stephen Mill. So away I went and listen. It was a brilliant year. You know, staying up in the last game of the season. Everyone remembers that. Miguel Chinez overhead kick in the last minute to keep us up. So brilliant experience. Um, getting to do a bit of coaching again, see different things, you know, playing at the bottom of the league instead of at the top of those years. Really reset me and refocused me about what I wanted to do and you know being older and speaking to young kids and speaking to younger players and trying to help them along with their careers as a you know, on the pitch was was uh, really focused me on what I wanted to do, which was go straight from football. In the coaching and just that that's the way it happened gary moved to glentorn and then kieran harding came into carrick and asked me what to help him coach so that was me straight into the coaching side of it straight and so coming towards the last couple of years of your playing career that's what you were kind of turning your head towards was definitely going because other people we've we spoke to before maybe say oh, i came to the end of my career and i had no notions going to coaching but uh, my mate told me to come take a team or whatever then that got get, that gave me the bug you kind of had that in your head that that's what you wanted to go into Always. Show, eh? uh, the only reason why I didn't do it earlier was because I wanted to play as long as I could. I was the most selfish footballer you've met in your life. Like even, you know, family ho well, holidays, me and my missus and all. I wouldn't have, after that one in New York, by the way, <laughs> I, went, I, wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have booked anything where I missed pre-season or much of pre-season, you know. So, like I say, I was selfish. I knew my career wasn't going to be long, so I wanted to get as much out of it as I could. So, I am... Um, I didn't do no coaching badges while I was playing purely because I didn't want no distractions. So everything just went in the playing side of it. But as soon as the, the career was done, I'd, I'd enrolled on the B licence for the following year. Um, went there confident in myself and, you know, what I what I felt I could do as a coach. But the minute you're put up there and you're having to stand in front of your peers, me, 20 of them, geez, it's a culture shock. Like, mm -hmm. you think you know everything about football, but when you see what Sean Paul and the rest of the staff do, it's um you know during the the whole uh, the B license 
um, program, mm -hmm. it's um, it's such an eye opener. It's completely different to what you think it's going to be. You know, as a, as a coach and uh, him and Nigel Best were unbelievable. And Alan Nixon as well knew they gave me along mm -hmm. those four years from B licensed DA. It was it was outstanding and a constant learning. So it was it was an amazing time. So you're now focusing more on the coaching. Uh, how did you adjust from playing to coaching? Uh, well, the Carrick thing, I wasn't really training every week. You know, with Carrick, it was maybe one night because my knee was sore playing. So you were still doing wee bits and pieces on the training pitch. You know, with Gary, you know, he may have been telling you all what to do, you know, go and look after a box, go and do this. So uh, it kind of wasn't too difficult of a transformation. What you did realise was you're no longer, well, you were the coaching part, not now as a manager, you're, you're not one of the boys, but you know, coaching, you can still still be there and still have the laugh. So you'll always miss that side playing, but going into coaching though, I, I was happy with it, you know, planning your sessions. I loved all that and what I was going to do and watching other coaches and seeing what they were doing and how could I make that relevant to what we want to do as, mm -hmm. you know, in our team. And listen, Carrick was brilliant. And then Mark Smith asked me, would I want to go to Cliftonville under 18s? And again, up I went and because it was Cliftonville, had a brilliant year there, you know, Playing it like we, Keith McConnell, Donald Rocks, you know, Owen Casey, uh, coached all Lemons and was really lucky to to go and find them and what they all played against me. And the next day I was driving about the roads looking for the Brian kids to you know, get them in their team. Wanted a strong team and we'd done that at Cliftonville and it was brilliant and then done so well that Barry Gray asked me to go up and give him a hand with the first team and I couldn't say no. So away I went for a year with Barry and it was brilliant again. Irish Cup final, which of course Cliftonville lose because it's what we do. Qualified for Europe, got to be part of coaching staff on a European trip. Barry was very, very good to me, and still is very good to me in terms of you know uh, teach me about budgets, how to you know organise planning. He's the most organised coach mm. I've ever seen in my life, or a manager I've ever seen in my life. So getting to see all that was brilliant, you know. And plus being part of an elite group, obviously Cliftonville, working with top players, your sessions had to be better, and you had to make sure the players were all interested and you know didn't get bored which I felt like I was able to do now because I was a bit more experienced, but more confident in myself. It wasn't like that first time standing up in front of, you know, the, the boys on the coaching badges. So it just felt natural to me and and away I went. And um, I've just, I'm a, like I'm a full-time coach now. I've, I've put enough into it. I've done a degree in football and business management, like I said. So I've just always wanted to do better. And football is the road that I've chosen to go down and, you know, educate myself and be better at so any chance I got I was always watching different coaches always online reading stuff and you know like reading coaching books reading management books and uh, it's the path that, uh, that I've went down it's so far Touchwood the secretary sitting there that it hasn't been too, too bad it's been quite successful so just before I move on to uh, your first proper managerial job you mentioned there about your full-time coach and you've got a degree do you just want to give us a, wee bit, a bit of an insight well, into that, what you actually do away from the club set? Well, side of it? every day I, um, I work with Niffle, so a football management company in Niffle. We, um, like two or three players out of each club every year apply for our course, and it's a full-time course, so it's full-time training, plus they get a B-Tech as well as part of the full-time training. So, like today on the pitch, like 20 players, four goalkeepers, they get a session, tomorrow will be the same. Wednesday they're in the gym, Thursday session, Wednesday gym, that, that's my job. I'm lucky enough to be involved <coughs> coaching decent quality players every single day. I love it. It's different from what I do in the evenings 
here at Distillery, it's it's all for development, whereas Distillery in the evenings, it's about winning. So it's it's a, it's a nice release sometimes, you know, after the odd bad result, which we had in the first couple of months, our first six months at Distillery, it was still nice to go back and be refreshed by young kids' enthusiasm and wanting to learn. So that, that I really enjoy it every, every single day. It's it's unbelievable. And the degree, I remember going to a club under the teens, went into leaving a match card and I heard Dermy O'Carroll was in the building, you know, working for IFA. And I said, I'll call around and see Dermy. And I picked up a wheelie flit and it was a degree from University of Ulster in football and business management. And I thought, what's this all about? And went home and said to their wife, what do you think? And she says, well, you've always wanted to get a degree, so why not? And it was a part-time course, so it suited me, obviously, with my work, you know, part-time. So I left, um, well, I think I started actually when I was still in Bombardier. I left Bombardier a couple of months after I started that degree and being able to work full-time in a football environment where I wasn't working as many hours was brilliant for me to, to get the degree done. So, you know, still speak to Kyle Ferguson and, and all the tutors who put me through that degree and it's, it's one of the best things I've done, to be honest. Fantastic. So uh, you make your way into, into your first manager's job That's at St James', St. James Swift's. Yeah. How, you want to tell us how the move from Cliftonville under 18s to that well, at St James' Swift's came about? Cliftonville 18s and then it was Cliftonville first team and obviously Barry, Barry left. So I, was, I left as well and then Paddy McAllister, he was at Sport and Leisure and asked me would I come in and give him a hand. So obviously Paddy's a really, really good friend. So went in, give him a hand, got me out of the house, kept me involved with football. <clears throat> and then uh, I was just, not at, well I was, I was asked to apply for the job at St James' Swift when the manager's job came available. And Paddy was going to come in and kind of help me, you know, like mentor me again, because I'm not too, I'm never embarrassed to admit it, but still learning, still need to learn, was naive, didn't didn't have my own manager's job, at, you know, like where I was in complete control. Obviously with Barry, you were assistant manager, so he, he was still dictating you know, decisions. So went in and Patty was brilliant for me again, you know, told, told me when I needed to maybe calm things down, not get too obsessed with results, not get too obsessed with performance on Saturdays and help me my way through it. And then St James's brilliant club, absolutely amazing club. Some of the, the, the staff or the, the volunteers behind the scenes, what they do for that club is, is unbelievable. And it was brilliant. I was able to plan a pre-season, my own planning, no friendlies, training sessions, and the players all bought into it. And with a brilliant season just felt short the first season of winning the league and then obviously COVID hit so it was like two years of the wilderness really you know football was on football was off football was on and then the last year we got we got back in and got a full season we won the the Ballymena district league so it was, it was again it was successful really enjoyed my time but once we won that league I kind of knew that I wanted to you know challenge myself again at a higher level because I always want to challenge myself, don't want to sit comfortable. I could have sat there and seen more players and maybe won that league again, but it's not really what I want to do. I, want, I really want to challenge myself. So I got a phone call from uh, Colin, asked me would I be interested in Lisburn Distillery and couldn't believe it because obviously the size of this club, the history of the club, mm -hmm. and obviously just what's happened to it, you know, everyone knows about. But we're trying to put things in place to get us back where we feel we belong and it was a no-brainer for me you know felt 
awful having to go and tell St James's, but at the same time, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up and spoke to Cairns, Stead and Brendan Shannon, my brother Gavin, it was obviously, I wanted his backroom staff and asked them what they think. They says, you're nuts if you turn it down. So I, just, I kind of, re I couldn't really. So, and I've been proven right. I've loved it since I've started. I just want, I just want to go back before we talk about distillery. I just want to go back and, and, and speak a little bit about your, you've went from assistant coach into manager's job at St. James Swifts. Was there, was there much that you drew from your previous experiences working under other managers, things you liked, things you didn't like? Things maybe Barry Gray done, things maybe Tommy Breslin done. Oh, but you just kind of like making up your own wee personality with out of, out of each manager. Always, always. Like Tommy Breslin, best man manager I've, I've ever had in my life. Michael O'Neill, the most attention to detail. Barry Gray, the most organised. You know, you take wee bits out of, of different people. And again, Eddie Patterson, so persistent and wanting to play the same way all the time. You know, stuck to his, you know, his principles. And I admire that about him, you know. So you do, you pick up with, and then Marty Quinn, for a manager to get you emotionally charged up as he done, you know, for all of us, like you'd have run through a brick wall for Marty, and then worked wee bits and pieces with David Lee. We played a, or with David Jeffrey, we played against Man United, you know, for Harry Gregg's testimonial. And it was an unbelievable experience. And myself and George McMahon walked out of the change room, we were like, jeez, I'll do anything you know, to play under David so listen you pick up wee things as you go along and actually a brilliant story that night a cracking story Martin O'Neill was our guest player and uh or our guest manager sorry and it was David Jeffrey it was the day after you know Aguero scored that goal so it was just after that so Man United were on a bit of a downer they were coming over to play us and David Jeffrey comes in and he goes uh Martin's running late so I'll do the team talk I name the team and says this is the team and, Blah blah. I was starting. He says, "Look, we're only a side show, you know, for Man United here. The fans are coming here to watch Man United. So, Jante, Georgie, Jim Irvine, Big Albert, just don't be doing nothing crazy. Just give them the respect they deserve. It's they're on a bit of a downer. Get the game over with, and we'll all be happy, and we'll all get out of here quickly. And of course, the door busts open. Martin O'Neill comes in, and he takes his jacket off, and he throws his jacket down. And he goes, right." get stuck in these parts because they'll show you no respect whatsoever. I'm looking around at David Jeffries like this. Jeez, Martin, what are you doing to me? Myself, Georgie, Jim Irving, all bust out laughing. Couldn't wait to get out and it was a brilliant experience and got an out rattle at Nanny, so that was class. <laughs> but yes, the manager's thing, even like that, you know, getting to see Martin O'Neill's enthusiasm coming in through the door. How could you not, you know, pick up something <laughs> from that? So pick up wee bits and pieces from every single manager and try to use the best bits of all of them to, to make my job work but you know it's you have to have your own mm -hmm. stamp on things as well but yes you definitely try to pick up wee bits and pieces from everyone yes so you move then from St James Swift to Lisburn Distillery uh, what's the first few things you do in terms of maybe assembling the backroom staff assembling new players what do you kind of what's the first <laughs> kind of things <laughs> the backroom staff was easy. I had that in place, you know, obviously from St. James's. It was one I wanted to have was Brendan Shannon because unbelievable coach and I know him personally, you know, from playing Irish League football. But with with no players, with three was it three players I think we had. So it was just get as many players in as quick as possible and it was a real I was lucky because I was obviously coaching at Niffle. So I knew some Academy players who had previously graduated through, you know, our course. I was able to get in touch with them straight away, get them in because they were on the fringes of Irish League first teams and some playing 
you know, reserve football and the like one was at ours, maybe Dundala. So I was able to get them in quickly and get a team together, which made it as competitive. Well, we were competitive for the first few few months, but it, you could tell we were very young. But we played Bally McCash uh, in an evening game. We drew two each with them, and our average age was 21. And with Aaron Smith playing, who's about 36, so if you'd have took him out of it, God knows what our, our average age was. So that's where we were. But again, it was just we're so late getting into the distillery job that this is the way it had to be so listen we knew what we had to do we identified targets for january your brother being one so we identified that where we need to strengthen january but in the for the time being we needed to work with the players we had and that's what we've done to be fair they were brilliant for us a lot of them have moved on now and we've obviously improved the squad but for for those six months it was crazy you know to be fair, the, the board had all the fixtures and all pre-season sorted, so that was one thing we didn't have to worry about, so that was brilliant. Yeah. So it was purely just concentrating on getting players into the war. And you spoke earlier about uh, having, like, Lisbon Distillery was win, win all costs, and then your day job was more development. Is there still a little bit of you wanting to implement, like, a style of play, or... Kind of your principles. Everybody gets carried away these days about principles and philosophies well, and all that stuff. Listen, you would love to do it the way I. I would love to do it the way I coach my development team. You know, like we play on three G surface every day, so we defenders get it in the play from the back and knock a ball in the centre midfield because we've got good centre midfielders. But when it comes to men's football, we tried to play out three or four times this year and we've been punished because the players are better at our level than what they are at development level. That's just facts. It's black and white. So we've been punished. So, you know, like I'll give you an example. Orm McCart, he's on loan from Lauren. He, he's getting the ball and his, when he's training with Lauren during the day, <coughs> he's getting the ball off a goalkeeper and he's turned out and he's probably got Tomas Crossgrove to pass to. He's one of the most comfortable fullbacks in the Irish league to give the ball to. So certainly you can do that. But when he's getting the ball here, He's taking the ball out and he's passing it to someone on a bobbly pitch who's playing right back. You know, I think for a few times it was Justy Gradden who's went on and moved on to Harlem with Welders, who's a brilliant player, a brilliant centre midfielder. But the way we were, we had to play him right back. Justy will tell you himself, not overly comfortable on the ball, brilliant breaking up play and making nice passes and, and moving it, you know, disruptive. But Orm's, Orm was trying to do what he was doing at Lauren, passing the ball to Tomas Crossgrove, which we couldn't do, especially on a bobblier pitch. Like we have out there so we got punished a few times from it and it's having to reset players way of thinking so I, i'm saying to him when you can't do that son you need to be a distillery player not a lauren player i says during the week you're a lauren player which same thing applies to my academy players but in the in the evenings you've got to do what we need you to do and to be fair since since about december he's been outstanding he was injured for the last few weeks but since then he's been outstanding just really simplified his game to suit our league and what we need to do to win so yes development football it's it's completely different and i would say to any young kids the, the first chance you get to go and play men's football do it at any level because development football they're, they're, you don't feel the pressure of what it means to win because if let's be honest if you lose playing for limfield reserves or Clivenville reserves it doesn't really affect you mm -hmm. you know your end goal is to play first team mm -hmm. but if you lose here playing for the first team it can be my job on the night so there is that added pressure of you not getting a contract, of you not, you know, of you getting relegated, that there, that's very real here. But in reserve football, none of that pressure exists. Yeah, I'm in reserve football myself, 
and at one point and we try to get the players to play and stuff and to get on the ball but it's a big difference when they step up a Saturday bag race team and they're play maybe playing away at I don't know somewhere like Dundella where it's a tight wee pitch and they have to get three points to try and get promoted you well, know, it's a different mindset than well, this is it you know we, we looked at this league in the like the first six months was complete learning for me played everyone realised what their strengths and weaknesses were what we done we went out and signed about six players over six foot we're like a Harlem Globetrotters out there you know so that it's it's like when at all costs it mightn't suit my philosophy or my coaching style but at the end of the day if, if I'm not in a job how can I implement my coaching style because if we keep losing or had a cap losing the, the board would have had to let me go which means I can't coach at all here and even so yes as we move along and hopefully I get time that we'd like to play a bit more football based now but don't get me wrong I'm not saying we play long balls we do try to play mm -hmm. and certain pitches if they're nice we'll, we'll, we'll constantly try and play but in the main we just have to adapt quickly I tell the players you know they need to adapt really quickly to conditions you know the surfaces to, to, to get the best results make good decisions or like when you adapt the more good decisions you make the better you'll be as a player and again an example of that's going up to Port Stewart when we got our first win after after the first half of the season, it was the conditions, it was gale force wind in our favour in the first half. In the second half, it was obviously blowing in our faces. We defended literally on the penalty spot and just hit them on a the counter-attack. And that's what we've done. We got, we got our win and it gave players confidence. But it was purely that the players adapting so quickly and, and taking on the, the advice, the instructions that they were given. So, you know, you, you have to give credit to the players for that. So on a training week then, uh, are you just planning from week to week uh, against a, like a, a different opposition, like a game plan to suit an opposition, or do you have like like a theme or principles throughout that you try and implement a wee bit, but I, maybe focus on who you're playing against? The first six months w was very, you know, it was more focused on what the opposition were doing, but now it's more, it's a we're more of a routine now. So we'll work on. I spoke to David Healy. I'm very lucky in my job because we train our academy pitch as Olympia and Linfield train in the afternoons and like I say I'm very friendly with David and Ross Albert was done done the same degree as me so we're in the same class and I was frustrated about the amount of goals we were conceding you know playing four three and a three and I've always been, wanted to play a three and a five and I I spoke to my backroom staff, I says, look, we're changing. And they were, no, no, no. And I says, look, it's what I feel comfortable with, what I feel comfortable coaching. So I went over to David and Ross and sat with them, must have been for 40 minutes. And obviously, as you do as coaches, talked about what way they coach, because I see them working all, like, unopposed on defensive shape. And I've started doing it every single night for 10, 15 minutes at the end of a session. And the difference is like night and day. Every player understands like when the press when the deny space what space you move into and it's just again from from having those contacts and and being brave and going back to your own like my own principles like you spoke about earlier that that that's starting to pay off for us so we look a lot more solid defensively and we've got an attacking threat now in the final third again probably through set pieces more than anything is which is what we'll work on tuesdays and thursdays as well so you're now into the second half of the season and you are on a little bit of a good run. Uh, what do you think has changed between the first half and the second half of the season? <laughs> We've just got men in. 
and that's being honest. But we, we knew at this league, you, you can't win anything. What was it? Alan Hansen said that famous thing, can't win anything with kids. It was probably the only time it was proven wrong. But for our league, we just needed experienced men who knew how to win in this league. And like I say, we went and got your brother. He has been absolutely un unbelievable for us. Josh Lynch, has, it's allowed Josh Lynch to probably flourish into what I, th who, what I think is the best player in the league. And Adam McCart has been massive. Carter Savage, again, once you say these guys, when you stand beside them, they're all like basketball. Well, maybe just me, because I'm like a hobbit, but they're all huge. And we have been a threat. Our deliveries have always been brilliant, but we just didn't have no one to get on the end of them. So straight away, if even if we're one down now, we know we can score. So it's a completely different mindset with us. We, we kind of believe more. And that, that, that's what the key was. It was, I think, the young lads, we went to Bally McKaish and drew 2-2. Two -two. We were 2-0 two down in the first half of the season. And I thought, we're really going to kick on here. But for whatever reason, the, there was no consistency with young kids. And then we went on a, a couple of bad runs, or a couple of bad games, a couple of losing games. But now, even after losing to Banbridge, the manner we're done conceding in the 93rd minute, after coming back twice, the two each, the players and I, they reset themselves and they bounce back from, you know, knockbacks much, much better. And it's just age and experience. It's nothing other than that. You know, technically, we probably had better players first half of the season, but for what the players now give us, it, it's completely night and day. And if you ask me, you know, in our league, what you need, it, it's exactly what we have now. It's just men who are willing to lead, put their bodies on the line and go and attack things and just make good, intelligent decisions. Very good. And what what is uh, what's the, the the goal then for the for the uh, second part of the season? Well, it's just to to survive this year. Like we sat down a target at the start of the year, you know, with the board, but we set it. We set the target as just survival. Make sure we're in this league next year, where we have a good foundation to build. But on a personal level now, just because of the way things have went the last well four of the last five games, I think we need to be looking at the top half of it the table and that's being honest with you so we have reset our targets as a staff and as players but obviously the board have we, we want to make sure that we're safe first which keeps the board happy but privately we want to we want to push on. push on for top six definitely and be playing against the big teams come the split so that that's where we are that's what that's what we think you know is, is real realistic to us and long term then what was the long term goals for the club it has to be the premiership or else what what's the sense you know what what is genuinely the sense of us being here and wanting wanting to get players in to give us a foundation for next year to build we look at Bangor, who have turned us over twice it sounds stupid but there's no way that the, over the two games is 10 goals there's no way they're 10 goals better than us you know Bally McKay's we drew with and they've went toe to toe with Bangor all season we just needed consistency and now we're finding a wee bit of consistency i think that if the board i'm saying this very smile by the way in my face if the board trusts us and you know can help us you know with a bit of backing then there's no reason why next season maybe the season after we we can't really push on and give ourselves an unbelievable chance to get through championship and then again with championship it brings in more supporters that will bring in more income hopefully which again allow the club to kick on and maybe push for you know, the premiership, which I, I think has to be a target because it's too big of a club not to be. And personally, what's, what's your ambitions and, and what's your goals for the future? Just to go as far and as high as I can in, in management. And, you know, that's it. I've, I've never really turned around 
Do I tell the laugh? Didn't think I wanted the money's would love the money's cliff mill, but the more I think about that, I probably it would probably terrify me because I'd be scared of being a failure and tarnishing, you know, the club of support that I've supported all my life. Like that reputation, you know, and the rapport you have with a fan. So I was actually just thinking about that the other day and myself and Mark Smith were talking about it. And you wonder yourself, just go somewhere else, you know, go and try and make a, a club be good, win things and doesn't matter what club it is and it, it doesn't, genuinely doesn't. So at the start it was all an end goal would love to manage Cliffmore, but now, you know, I just want to go as far as I can for myself and obviously my staff in football, you know, whatever league or whatever club it is, doesn't matter to me. It just, as long as I'd be true to myself, you know, like in terms of do it my way and as long as the board backs me and supports me, I'll know I've done it my way and if it fails, then at least I tried it, but if it doesn't, and I've changed my principles, then, you know, I'll never know whether I was good enough to do it or not. Brilliant. Well, Barry, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and we wish you and Lisbon Distillery all the best for the future. Thank you very much, man.